Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, pro physique athlete, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Cliff Wilson back on the show. He is a renowned bodybuilding coach, and it's great to have him on. He has authored uh, a great book on contest prep, and today we're going to be getting into some of the nuts and bolts of advanced contest prep planning. Thanks for being on the show, Cliff. Glad to be back. I appreciate you having me. So, yeah, I want to really get into some of the more nitty-gritty stuff for all those competitors out there and with a focus on planning out your prep. So this discussion will be focused towards the advanced athlete who really is focused and, you know, is able to nail everything in terms of their adherence and diet and training and also has time on their side. So we're assuming that you're kind of going into this planning things out in an ideal manner. So, yeah, I guess, Cliff, you know, just kind of framing this in the terms of a an ideal client maybe coming to you. How would you plan out the length of prep and when to start? So um, one thing I will say is that appropriate planning is a really tricky subject when it comes to bodybuilding. Um, and so like, I, I haven't done the math in a few years, but a few years ago, I decided to go through all of my, all of the people that have applied to work with me for coaching over the previous year, right? Um, and I've done this a few times in my career. And usually uh, when I go through all of the people that have applied to work with me um, and I see what show they've picked, right? They contact me and they say, I want to do this show on this date. Um, in my experience, usually anywhere from 90 to 95% of people have chosen a show that's too soon. Um, so they've failed, you know, it, it doesn't even matter if it's too soon. You can rush it, but you're going to lose muscle if you rush it. Um, and so it's like they failed before they even started. So right out of the gate, most people are failing with that. Um, <clears throat> so uh, when it comes to planning, if I have to say my ideal client is one that's not in a rush, um, the, the worst thing you can do is really be in a rush to get on stage. Because, you know, I, I, I guess I've had a hard time understanding why people are always in such a rush to get on stage. The only thing I can see is usually uh, for clients that aren't in the U.S., they don't have a lot of shows every year, right? Um, usually it's maybe one or two shows in their area per year. So I understand um, sometimes, you know, getting your eyes set on a particular show. But um, the biggest thing for ideal planning that I have with a client is patience and not in a rush to get on stage. And then there are a lot of other things that fall into place after that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a great point where, I mean, definitely applied to myself when I started out where people underestimate how long it takes to get lean. Or I think one of the common things is that you underestimate how much body fat you have. You know, you think you think you're only 10 pounds off of stage weight or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's a hard part. So I'm going to give actually, um, what I would say is my ideal scenario. Um, this may not work for somebody that has a strict work schedule or somebody that, like I said, is maybe not in the U S or is in an area where there's like one show per year. But if I had to give my ideal scenario mm -hmm. is somebody that's open to not planning, and what I mean by that is um, open to uh, not planning and instead focus more on uh, what I call an open-ended prep. Um, this, anybody that will take, take me up on this every year, this is my ideal. We start dieting and we don't know what show we're doing. Uh, we are aiming for our best physique. And what I mean by that is we're just aiming to get completely shredded. And so when you do this, usually you're not aiming for a date. You're aiming for a look. And uh, usually you'll know when you're close to that look. You maybe six weeks out, eight weeks out, you know, you're get, you know when you're close, right? And so uh, then at about maybe six weeks out, we're like, what's next on the calendar at about six weeks out? Boom, this is the one. We're going to do this show. Um, that is, in my opinion, the ideal way to prep. 
because then you are assured there's no cutting corners, right? You're not cutting corners because you're not rushing to get the stage. Um, you're not stressed out because there's no questions of, will I be ready? You'll be ready when you're ready. You'll get on stage. Um, if, if, you, if, if I had to say that's my, that's my ideal scenario, that's the way I prep myself every time, too. When I coach, for, when I prep myself, um, I don't know what show I'm doing. I just start cutting. I start prepping. And then once I'm a month out, I'm like, that's the show. Let's go for it. Here we go. Yeah, I actually really like that approach, especially considering if you're maybe working with someone for the first time or if they haven't really prepped a, a lot before. And especially if they have quite a bit of weight to lose, it can be hard sometimes to pinpoint exactly what their stage weight is going to be. Because sometimes, you know, if you when you're hidden by a layer of fat, it's hard to tell what's hiding underneath. Yeah, you know, funny enough is that I think this is the strategy that is most needed by first time competitors or newer competitors. But it's the, that's the demographic that's least open to doing that. Um, like uh, yeah. my co-author on the book that I wrote is Dr. Peter Fitchin. Um, I'm not sure if you know who he is, but, uh, and, you know, I, I, I've uh, prepped him the last few times he's competed. And we always do a lot of open-ended preps. We just prep and when we're ready, we're ready. Um, whenever Pete has competed, and I do the same thing for myself, right? I think I might be ready within like a three-month span. I don't really know. I'll like we'll write out every show that will possibly work for me within that three month span. And then as I'm prepping, when I'm just like, okay, this one won't be doable. This one won't be doable. And I'll just like, you know, go down the line. Well, this is the next one in line. Let's go for it. Book the tickets and let's go for it. Um, but yeah, newer competitors are usually not open to the open-ended prep. Um, but they're the ones that sorely, sorely need it. Um, and then, I mean, there's a lot of things with when it comes to, okay, if you can't do that, then I can explain rate of loss if we want to get into that one next. Yeah, and then I guess, yeah, the, obviously this will be tied to rate of loss, but I guess how that would change if, say, you were talking to a repeat, you know, client that you've prepped before, let's say they're a pro and they're going into, and they have a specific date they want to be in ideal shape for, like, WNBF Worlds or something, like, and by the way, is shout out to actually meeting in person in LA. That was great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, it was, it was great getting to see you in person in LA at WNBF worlds. And, um, it was a, it was a tough show. I had, as you saw, I had my client, he takes, took second to, uh, Bada who ended up winning the whole show. Um, it was a good, good battle between those two. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I would usually, so in addition to my normal coaching, every once in a while, I, I mentor coaches. Um, and when I mentor them, uh, you know, there's, there's a litmus test that I use as to whether or not I think somebody is going to be an effective coach going forward, a contest prep coach. Um, will they stand firm with their clients on show selection and rate of loss? And what I mean by this is for myself, um, let's say I have a client reach out to me and they say, I have a show that I would like to do in, um, 25 weeks. All right. Um, 25 weeks seems like a long time. You know, that's, that, that is, that's a long time. And so they'll reach out to me and they'll think, oh, I have 25 weeks to go. I will be, you know, that's plenty of time. I'll reach out to Cliff. I'll apply for coaching. And, uh, <clears throat> I look at their photos. I look at their previous photos. And let's say I assume that they need to lose like 38 pounds, 37 pounds, something like that. It's a lot of weight to lose. Um, and, but 25 weeks, that's months and months that you have to cut. Um, a lot of people are shocked when I say, I won't do it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, you know, some people will say, oh, well, that's nice. You have the luxury of, you have a lot of clients applying to work with you. You have the ability to turn people away. I, even when I was broke and coaching, I'd turn, I wouldn't do it. Um, I would spend time trying to convince them that they need to do a later show. Um, I don't have as much time to convince people these days. You know, I'll say either you take mm -hmm. it or leave it. We'll do it later. You know, if you want to do a later show, I'll do it, but not this one. Um, but, um, I really think that if you want to be a successful coach or competitor, if you're doing it yourself, you have to stand firm on this rate of loss. No, I will not rush this prep. Um, and one thing I always tell my clients is, uh, um, as a coach, I have standards, right? Because 
you know, this is their career and they're getting on stage. But when I know that something is legitimately cutting corners, um, I have to have my standards as a coach. I'm not going to cut these corners with you and rush this process to get you on stage at less than your best. Um, and you know, if, if, if your standards are lower than mine, then, um, we're not going to go in this together. A good match anyway. Right. Um, so I think the very first thing you need to do is look at how much weight you need to lose and how many weeks do you need to lose it? This sounds like, I know this sounds so simple. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes, uh, in, in my book, I, you know, you mentioned the book, I think I spend like four pages on this one topic on how to calculate it, how to think about it, you know? And sometimes I've had people go, you spent too much time on rate of loss. And I'm like, but it's the thing that everybody gets wrong. Even coaches, I see so many people get it wrong. And I may sound dumb, but I think that setting your rate of loss and then enforcing it strictly is going to be the number one thing that trips most people up. I don't, it's not peak week. It's not any of that stuff. Um, so, uh, so, Ideally, for most people, I'd like to see most men keep a rate of loss of, let's say, 0.75 to 1.25 pounds per week. 1.25 is fast, in my opinion, if you're natural. Um, for most women, I'm going to say a half pound to one pound per week. You maybe go a little bit over that, but most women are going to have a hard time keeping that rate of loss going for a lengthy period of time. So once you do that, that math, right, if you have, you know, if, you, if you're a woman, if you have 20 pounds to lose, you should not do uh, a prep any shorter than 20 weeks um, and really abide by that. And so right out of the gate, in my opinion, that is the end all be all of planning contest prep is doing that math right there is how many pounds do I need to lose and how, how many weeks do I have to lose it? Yeah, I think that's huge. I think understanding that it's it's almost like, you know, which way the rocket is pointed when you take off and like having the right amount of fuel like to get to your destination <laughs> where that initial planning has so much say in where you, like, whether you make it or not. Yeah, and, and for some reason, people have a hard time uh, understanding that. Like uh, one analogy I've started using is like, you know, if I have to take a road trip, if I have to be somewhere by, or if I have to be somewhere by 7 p.m. and it takes three hours to get there, they understand can't leave any later than 4 p.m. They understand that, you know what I mean? But for some reason in contest prep, I try to explain to them, like, this is the exact same way. Like, you know, this is our deadline. We can't leave later than 4 p.m. to start this prep. <laughs> um, and uh, they're like, well, what if I drive really fast? And I'm like, well, okay. You could, you have a little leeway, right? You can, you know, as well as I do, if you have a three hour road trip, you can maybe cut, you know, 15 minutes off of that by speeding a little bit. Um, but, you know, there's, there comes a certain point where you're going to get a ticket if you go too far, which is the ticket if you try to rush it too much in contest prep is you're losing too much muscle mass. And, um, you know, and, and also in that regard to losing too much muscle mass, sometimes people are like, well, I'll just come in a little bit smaller, but usually it's not at the expense of smaller. Yeah, you are smaller, but you don't get as lean when you lose muscle tissue during a contest prep. There's like a, a filmy look to you because you're also retaining water from the stress of trying to cut too fast. It's just not mm. a good look. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point where <laughs> there's so much, there's a lot of extra baggage that comes with you know your body being stressed out with you if you try and overtax the system yeah absolutely yeah I, I really think that this initial planning is a big part of prep and success overall so I wanted to get more into it and one thing that I don't hear people talking a lot about is you know if you have a really serious athlete who has lots of time where would you like ideally want them to be starting a prep at in terms of like body composition? So uh, this is one thing that's pretty interesting that I've changed with over the years, right? Um, because when I first started coaching, um, your pool of experience is smaller. Like, you know, when you coach your first client, your pool of experience is yourself. <laughs> and I'm somebody who is rather lean. Um, I'm not like the guy that has like six pack abs in the off season, but I don't get heavy either. Um, and so, uh, 
I used to have really strict ideas like, oh, I want guys to be no more than 30 pounds over show weight, maybe 20 to 30 pounds over show weight, um, stuff like that. Um, but I've really kind of expanded my views on that because <clears throat> my experience tells me, I've made some posts about it, but everybody just has different number of body fat cells on their body. And it really dictates uh, how lean someone can comfortably hold. Um, someone with genetically few body fat cells on their body can maintain, you know, 20 pounds over stage weight, which 20 pounds over true stage weight is very lean. Anybody who's competed will tell you. So maybe they can comfortably hold that. When I say, when I say comfortably hold, um, what I mean by that is high performance, uh, low hunger signals, uh, quality sleep, low stress, and just, you know, they're comfortable in their own skin. You know, that, that's a, that's a sign that somebody is within a physiologically comfortable body fat range for themselves. Um, someone with higher number of fat cells on their body genetically are, they're going to, they might need to be 35, 38 pounds over stage weight, which is a lot. Mm. But, mm -hmm. um, but once again, if they try to hold 20 pounds over stage weight, they're not going to be physiologically comfortable. They're going to have disrupted sleep. They're going to have very high hunger signals. Uh, they're going to have impaired performance in the gym. And in my experience, starting a prep from a body composition that is physiologically uncomfortable usually leads to people not looking as good at the end of their contest prep, even if they are managing to keep their discipline in order, um, which is a tall order, because usually if you're starting spot from a physiologically uncomfortable spot, um, people are going to cheat on their diet more. But even if they do manage to not cheat on their diet, the look still isn't the same. Um, I believe, as we said, it's from a, an, um, an unordinarily high uh, level of just total stress upon the body. So I like to start any prep from what I uh, would refer to as someone's leanest, physiologically comfortable composition. Um, so what I mean by that is... Um, I like to have people before they begin prep, if I work with them through their off season, I like to test the waters and find what is the leanest body composition they can comfortably hold from a physiological standpoint. Mm -hmm. Now, what I mean by physiological standpoint, I'd like to take a minute and differentiate between physiological and um, what, what uh, psychological, which is more lifestyle, right? So, um, I'll say this for, I'll use myself, right? I could, I can physiologically comfortably maintain a body weight that's probably 20 to 22 pounds over stage weight. Um, I know for myself, I can hold that and eat the foods that I want. Uh, my performance will be high, fatigue will be low, um, you know, sleep is good, stress is low, not a big deal. Um, but it's difficult for me from a psychological lifestyle standpoint. Um, you know, I, I don't get to enjoy a meal out with my daughter, things like that. I have to forego certain things. It's not a big stressor to me, but it's a compromise of my lifestyle, right? So I know that usually I'm going to feel my best all around, uh, maybe maintaining, you know, 28 pounds over contest weight. Um, may seem small, but it's a difference in eight pounds that allows me to live like a much more normal life. So, um, anyway, I like to begin a contest prep, usually from someone's lowest physiologically comfortable standpoint where yes, they might have to make a few lifestyle, uh, restrictions, uh, to hold that spot. But that way, um, our shot downward from there is all through the weeds, through the hard stuff, but it's a shortened contest prep time frame. Yeah, I really like that kind of idea of your lowest comfortable body fat, you know, before getting into prep because yeah, it just it is just a shorter trip that you'll have to travel. Yeah, and and also it's like if somebody has to lose 40 pounds in one shot, that's a long diet that, you know, even if the beginning of that diet isn't difficult, 
after a while, people will mentally fatigue with caloric restriction. And it's like 40 weeks of a contest prep. Like that's, that's brutal for most people. Most people will really start to give out by the end of that. Yeah. And say someone is starting or you're <laughs> there in their off season and they're quite a bit maybe above that lowest comfortable body fat percentage, would you kind of give them a diet before the diet, as some people might call it, you know, where you might lose some fat and then try and have a bit of a buffer period in between starting prep where you do yes. like maintenance or even a lean, a bit of a bulk before? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll use the phrase uh, to my clients. I'll say we're, we're, we're dieting to the brink of discomfort um, where I will do a diet before the diet. Even if it's just I'll diet down right to the edge of that feeling uncomfortable spot. And then we'll bring calories up and just kind of hold there uh, for a month, you know, even a month and a half, something like that, month, two months. And then we'll, then it's time to start prep and go finish the job. And that kind of in-between <laughs> period when you bring the calories up, would you be at maintenance or in a slight surplus? Um, I would say slight surplus. I kind of flirt with the line, you know, of course, like you'll see an initial rebound in weight, which is usually just going to be glycogen you know, glycogen storage and water weight coming back on. Um, so we may gain a few pounds. So I'll say like, it's depending on the person, I'm going to flirt with surplus, but just like the most minute surplus you can imagine. Yeah. And in terms of cardio starting prep, will you try and people, you know, have people off cardio or you don't care too much? Um, usually, so uh, this is something that also was a big, processing point in the early start of my career um it's like in the early part of your career you have all these questions right like is it better to cut food or add cardio um and you know one thing that is interesting is i try not to go into prep with too many preconceived notions because everybody reacts so differently um and mm -hmm. even it's interesting when you bring up planning I try, and this is a very controversial statement, but I, I this is the way I operate. Um, people don't like when I say this. I try to minimally plan, right? I plan the things that I need to plan, like rate of loss, right? And I give myself this buffer. I need this amount of time. Um, but then, you know, some people will ask me, what's our diet going to look like at 10 weeks out? I'm like, I have no clue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I try to fully plan the direction that I'm going to go. I kind of try to take it in week by week chunks, right? Um, so uh, before I before I get into the cardio question, I apologize, but I wanted to explain how I kind of do this. It's like, um, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher, but I do have a great love for science and the scientific process. And in my mind, the way I've always approached contest prep is with the a scientific process in mind. And what I mean by this is uh, I, I treat every week like I'm running through the scientific method, right? So at the beginning of the week, a client checks in, hey, Cliff, I weigh 175 pounds and, uh, you know, my diet was good for this week, right? And so um, they didn't lose weight. I know that I need to keep a rate of loss of a pound per week. So I form my hypothesis, right? What changes will induce a one pound weight loss this week? Um, so I form my hypothesis and then I set up the experiment and then they test, right? They go and they run my plan for the week and then they report back to me at the end of the week and I view the result. Um, and my result, my hypothesis was either correct or incorrect. Um, and then whether it was correct or incorrect, I roll that information into my next week's hypothesis. It's just a week in and week out scientific method, hypothesis, test, result, hypothesis, test, result over and over and over again. Cliff's prep laboratory. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and it's funny because then, you know, and you, that's, I, I view bodybuilding is really like a scientific endeavor and stuff because you do this weekly, right? You do this weekly scientific method hypothesis, test, result, hypothesis, test, result. Um, and then actually that's on the micro scale. And then on the macro scale, you get to stage, right? The entire prep itself was hypothesis and then test. 
and then result is what gets on stage. And then you do it again on the macro scale going into your next contest prep. But um, so anyway, with that is have things at the start of a contest prep that I would say I generally like to try first. Um, when I say like to try, these are things that historically tell me more people will have a favorable response to. Mm -hmm. um, so my long way to getting to your cardio question is that in my experience, more people have a favorable response to keeping cardio low as long as you possibly can. Um, but I'm not opposed to changing that if I see things along the way that indicate that is not the right approach for this person. Um, for example, I do think women will typically have less. I still don't know if it's physiological or psychological. It might be just a both. My, my estimation is both. Women have less stress in general, probably both physiological and psychological. They have less stress in general to cardio. Um, if you give most men 30 minutes of cardio five days a week, they're going to complain. They're going to feel stressed out by it. Most women, you give them 30 minutes of cardio five days a week, and they're like, I could do 15 minutes more per session if you want me to. Um, so, you know, I would say I try to keep cardio low in the early going, but if I catch wind that they can tolerate more or they will respond well to more, I'm not opposed to switching that gear. Yeah, that's a really good disclaimer to put out where a lot of these things with prep will be very individual dependent and it, you know it's hard to give blanket statements but oh. yeah as you said you can kind of get see trends yeah you know and you nailed it one thing that i find so funny difficult is early on in my career um kind of goes into i guess the dunning kruger effect like in full you know full go because early on in my career i had no problem making social media posts and saying like um you should really do this, this, or this. And then it gets so hard, the more experience you gain, to make even any, even basic posts because there's so little clear cut. There's almost nothing I feel that everybody should do. You know, it's like, you should do this, but only if X, Y, Z happens. But then, you know, maybe ABC happens. And it's like, there's all these like contingencies in place. Um, and it gets very hard to give people even basic recommendations. Um, when it comes to contest prep. So, yeah, I, I do think that experience will lead you to a lot of different things that you didn't even realize would be possibilities along the way. Yeah, it's and that's one of the beautiful things about prep where you're collecting all this data like every week. Every week is a new experiment, right? It's another iteration. You're collecting more data points and you you understand your own physiology. So it's, it's kind of like a, a, a within con control subject design. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, uh, every once in a while you get clients that show you new things, right? They've been doing something on their own that seems to work, and you're like, well, it doesn't seem like it should work, but it's clearly working for you. Um, and then you then you kind of need to retool it in your head, right? Um, like, I kind of had, like, I don't know, you, you, you have, like, even, like, training volumes, right? You have ideas in your head, like, an effective training volume will be between, you know, this many sets and this many sets per week. And then you get somebody that comes to you and they're having great results with an outlier. You know what I mean? You're like, well, maybe some people exist outside of this spectrum. I need to like move my goalpost a little bit. And so, uh, you know, it's like, I feel like every year I encounter somebody that causes me to expand my goalpost on almost every subject, whether it be training or nutrition or whatever it may be. And so yeah. by the end of it, by the end of it, uh, you know, it's like, here I am like 10 years later and I'm like, well, I'm like, you're going to want to do something in between these and people are like can you narrow that a little bit i'm like no i really can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah and speaking of training i don't know if you have many thoughts on you know optimizing the position of where they start off with their training like would you give people say like uh like a, a low volume block beforehand or something like that to draw fatigue yeah so uh I do like to see people even it depends on where I think their psychological state is at also. Um, but I try to give people just in general a rest before contest prep starts. Um, one of my favorite approaches is 
and people hate this. My clients hate this, but I think it's good for them. It's like, I'm like, we're going to take a week off before we start contest prep or five days off. And they're like, oh my God. The worst. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's really good to start fully fresh, fully recovered. Um, uh, training is something I'm, obviously I'm a bodybuilder, right? I'm super passionate about it. Um, and, but I think that um, I... I find that bodybuilding, the, the current landscape of bodybuilding is interesting. I'm a little bit better known for nutrition, but a lot of people don't realize that I handle 90% of my clients' training programs as well. Um, but my training programs and my training setup is different. Like what's really popular right now is really detailed um, microcycles, macrocycles, this many sets per week, you know, uh, RPEs. You know, everything is micromanaged. And I guess the funny thing is that um, within the more scientific bodybuilding community, there's a lack of consistency, in my opinion, between um, <clears throat> diet and training. So what I mean by this is the average scientific, the average scientifically minded bodybuilder, um, they're like, okay, I go into the gym and I'm doing this exact many sets. And I went an RPE of eight on this set, working up to an RPE 10 on the final set. And my rest periods will be, you know, two minutes in between. And I'm training this many days per week and blah, blah, blah. You know, they micromanage everything. And uh, what's your diet like? Oh, I just have this much protein, carbs, and fat. Um, mm -hmm. There is a serious inconsistency in the micromanaging of their diets compared to the micromanaging of their training. Um, I feel that the micromanaging that people do with their um, training stifles their individuality and ability to make decisions on the fly. Um, one thing that I really do with both my diet and training is that I try to um, set stuff up in a manner for my clients where I give them parameters on the larger scale concepts. Um, I will give my clients macros and I will give them recommendations for timing. Um, these are timings that, you know, I'll, I'll give them macros. Like I would like, I, I think that a recommend good recommendation for you would be this much protein, carbs, and fat at breakfast, pre-training, post-training bedtime. Mm -hmm. Um, but to make it clear to them that this is, um, this is a recommendation. You do not have to follow this strictly. It's just a guide, right? Um, and I give them recommendations for what are good types of foods to have. But ultimately, I don't know if they like sweet potatoes. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, some people have digestive discomfort when they eat rice or, you know, steak or whatever it may be. I don't live in their body. They know that. They know those things better than I ever will. So when it comes to training, it's the same deal. I give them parameters. I give them scales for building up intensity over the course of a given period. I give them recommended rep ranges and exercises, but also I tell them you do not need to strictly adhere to this. These are guides. Um, and I guess the way I always view it is I am not trying to micromanage great athletes. I'm trying to develop great athletes. Um, one, one phrase I always use is uh, Steve Kerr is a great basketball coach. He can't always tell Steph Curry what is a good shot and what is a bad shot. And I approach my training the same way with my athletes. Um, while I may have recommendations that I would like them to start their prep from a lower standpoint, they are making great progress and they are telling me that they are making great progress. I'm going to trust this judgment from this athlete who is feeling good, not fatigued, and you know, they know their, I'm going to trust that they know their body. So um, when it comes to the individuality of it, I set some parameters and I trust my athletes with their, with their feedback. Does that make sense? Sorry for the long winded answer, but I think that it's important to know like how I operate with my athletes to know that I'm not always going to, once again, it's not always like, I definitely need to see this happen. I'd maybe like to see some things, but I will break that rule. Yeah, no, that's a great <laughs> philosophy, I think, where, you know, as humans, we're not meant to be these 
test tube creatures where you know like if you even if you did give someone like an IV drip of whatever macro nutrient profile it probably probably wouldn't be ideal because you have all these inconsistencies that like happen throughout the day that we just aren't like uh scientific experiments like to that level of detail yeah yeah it, you know what's really funny though is like you get this disconnect on both sides because the, like i told you the the scientific minded bodybuilder is going to be like oh you know i've got my rpe scales and i've got my timing and i've got this number of sets and i can't exceed this number of sets and uh they're like this and then oh i just have these macros you know I, I eat whatever foods i want within these macros and then you get the bro bodybuilder and they're like i have to have my chicken my rice and my broccoli exactly at 3 p.m and then uh and then they're like and i've got to do this and this and then I train intuitively. <laughs> there's such a lack yeah. of, there's such a lack on both sides, the bro side and the scientific mind of bodybuilder side. There's such a lack of logical consistency. Like, why are you treating these things so drastically different? Like, you need to set up some functional framework, but then give yourself a little bit more room to operate, you know? Like, sometimes when you're in the gym and you're feeling it, like, you can push a little bit harder than what your set says, you know, if you're feeling good that day or, you know, maybe, maybe you had a deload week plan, but you don't feel tired. Let's go for it. You know? And I think that, um, and, and sometimes I think that, well, I can get into a whole other thing, but I think that over planning can narrow your range of focus and what you're allowed to do. So I think that um, like, especially like, you know, since we're talking about plans in this one, I think that the best thing that athletes can do, not just in contest prep but over the career is like early on in your career i think you do need to set more strict plans right because you're inexperienced and you're going to have to rely on this plan but if you want to go as far as you possibly can as an athlete i think you need to then slowly transition to what are effective principles um because then principles can overtake your plans and what i mean by that is you don't require planning for four weeks out four weeks in the future or six weeks in the future instead you have sound principles so you know daily or whatever this situation comes up i must do this or i must do that because that's your principles will guide you to where you need to go yeah yeah i think that's a good point to think about when we're talking about planning is that uh, I'm just not letting people try and get too much into it. One thing I wanted to ask, actually, was, you know, since you said that your horizons have broadened a bit in terms of uh, the exact, like, amount of, you know, weight that people are able to lose in a prep, is there a maximum length of prep that you would allow people, like, like beyond which you would just be like, oh, come back another year sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, once I get up around 40, I start to get a little squirrely. <laughs> I, I, I guess, yeah. the idea of book, I, I, well, let me put it this way. I also think the pace, right? The pace is important because sometimes, um, uh, for example, I have a client, she just, uh, she just won IPU world championships in women's physique this year. Um, I don't have the exact number in my head, but she prepped for like 33 weeks. That's a long prep, but she's small. And so I knew we couldn't keep like a pound per week rate of loss because she's just mm -hmm. so small. Anybody who's ever prepped someone that like weighs sub 100 pounds on show day will tell you they're just not consuming a lot of calories. So we did like 33 weeks, but our rate of loss was only like half a pound per week, if that. So I think there's a view, a very big difference between like, let's say a 40 pound or a 40 week prep. Um, somebody that needs to lose, we're going to go a little higher. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to feel comfortable prepping somebody that needs to lose 45 pounds in 40 weeks. Um, because even though that rate of loss is only a tiny bit over a pound per week, which for males will still fall within my recommended rate of loss. Mm -hmm. That's a hard constant pace you can try you can lose early to kind of, kind of get ahead of it but it's still like it's a hard constant pace for 40 weeks um but i've had people that will want to prep for 40 weeks and they'll want to like take it slow you know so they're like hey you know i would rather go slow at my own pace if we need to lose like you know 35 pounds in 40 weeks that's a much more you know uh manageable pace in my opinion so i think the length of prep combined with a pace is where things start to become difficult if that makes sense so um i usually do view like 
40 weeks as kind of like a make or break thing is like, I personally, I don't like to try to lose 40 pounds, you know, more than 40 pounds in 40 weeks is what I would say is like my max. Yeah. Yeah. I think there, there definitely comes an issue of, I guess people call it diet fatigue when you're, when you're trying to get the body to lose so much weight over such a significant period of time as well with the restriction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I think sometimes it's like, it's not only the, the demand of the diet fatigue, like you're right, right. You're in a deficit for 40 weeks. Um, you know, if you have time to get ahead of pace and add in a diet break, that's awesome. But there's also like something to be said for the mental demand of 40 weeks of, I must lose weight. I must lose weight. I must lose weight. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's a lot of stress on a competitor. Whereas if you're kind of like ahead of pace, um the nice thing is that a weight stall isn't a stressor if that makes sense yeah that you know being able to manage those love those sort of auxiliary sources of stress i think can yeah. be helpful you mentioned you know people losing weight faster earlier on like do you ever allow people to have a like more aggressive pace of loss early on and does the rate of loss change across prep yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that is a great point because that is, that is exactly what you should be doing. It's like, you know, if you need to lose 30 pounds in 30 weeks, um, you're not going to lose one pound, one pound, one pound, you know, that's like ideal world type stuff, but it's not going to yeah. happen. You're going to have some weeks where you don't lose weight at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really should, I, I would say, try to, um, like if your average rate of loss is a pound per week, I'm using nice round figures. I personally like to try to start off with like a 50% bump above that. Um, but, you know, I may even go higher if somebody feels up to it in the early stages. So maybe even for the first quarter of the, the prep is you get ahead of it, right? You try, so instead of a pound, I'll maybe aim for like a pound and a half, 1.6 pounds to get ahead of pace. And then kind of in the, the middle 50% of a contest prep, then maybe you do slow it down to the intended rate of loss. And then if you, so then the final 25% of prep, that's where you have the ability to see what you're left, right? If somebody has had an easy prep and I got ahead of pace early on, and then we kept pace in the middle, then we're ahead of schedule now. So I can slow things down to under a pound at the final course. But let's say maybe things didn't move as smoothly as we wanted here or here, and we've got to keep up a higher rate of loss, you know, of a pound or maybe even over a pound going in. We got to push hard going in. Um, the final 25% is where I would say the big, you know, is the big question mark is like, what have you done over this point? Do, ideally, you'd like to be able to slow down in the final 25% of 25% of the prep. Um, but if things didn't go according to plan in the first 75%, you're not afforded that luxury. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't always turn out that way. But I agree that it's it's nice, though, like earlier on in prep, your body is just a little bit more resilient, I feel. And just having higher levels of body fat and being fresh overall can allow you to lose a little bit faster than later on when everything's falling off the rails. Yeah, yeah. I used to um, dip my toe into the water of contest prep with my clients too subtly early on. Um, I wouldn't really make, I think I've definitely changed something where my very first change, right? We're in off season and then we're in contest prep. I used to like subtly bring them down, but now I kind of just like, I make a big first cut just to really get that ball rolling. Um, I really don't feel like it, uh, impacts people too much negatively too much from a physiological or psychological standpoint because most people once contest prep starts mentally they're like let's go you know and then uh it's most of the negative impact that you see from a contest prep in terms of training you know negative training effects um, seems to be mediated mediated through low body fat levels not necessarily low caloric intake at least not acutely so most people can tolerate a good cut right out of the gate yeah so that's a good a good kind of area to talk about what would be how would you reason through that initial cut or like what would it look like for people it kind of depends on what uh what someone's food intake like 
man, the drastically different food intakes between people are wild sometimes. Like some people, um, well, and then also have you worked with this client before? Uh, it's like, so I have some clients that have what I refer to as highly adaptive metabolic rates. What I mean by this is mm-hmm. when I feed them, they're not going to gain much weight. When I cut, they're not going to lose much weight. <laughs> um, those can yeah. be really like, sometimes I'll get clients where, right, they'll finish up a contest prep and I'm just going to throw some examples, right? Their, their macros may down, be down to like 220 grams of protein, 90 grams of carbs, and 45 or 50 grams of fat, right? They're low. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go through an off season with me and their macros are up to like, you know, 250 grams of protein, 550 grams of carbohydrates, and like 90 grams of fat. And then they'll tell me, man, with my food getting so high, I won't have to get anywhere near as low as what I did last time. And I'm like, <laughs> you're going to end up right back on the food you were at. Like, and we're getting there eventually. So with those people, I know that I have to be especially aggressive. If you have a highly adaptive metabolic rate, your body's going to adapt to those changes. So you kind of need to be a little more aggressive with your first cut. So if they're, you know, taking in 550 grams of carbs, it's not uncommon for me to cut 150 grams of carbs and 20 to 30 grams of fat right out of the gate. Just, you know, let's just, let's get it moving. Um, And so I like to see if I can get the ball rolling in that regard, because I know, right. If this is their top end food intake and this is their low end food intake, um, if I if I spend too much time up here, they're mm-hmm. not going to get moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. So if I know that they have the highly adaptive metabolic rate, I've got to just get more down into the mid ranges. Um, other people do not have very adaptive metabolic rates, um, in which case, uh, right? So some people with highly adaptive metabolic rates, their high end and their low end are very far separated. Other people are, you know, very low. So I know I won't need as much. Um, or maybe they're still low, but like their high food intake, you know, instead of being up here, it's like here. So, you know, it may just be a smaller cut, but I know that it'll get the ball rolling. So I think that having some knowledge, if, if you're, if this is a new client for yourself, um, then I think that you need to do a good client history. Um, one question I always ask on my client application is in your previous prep or your previous cut. Um, even if they, most people, even if they haven't competed, they've dieted before, right? How low did your calories get and how high did your cardio get? I want to know what that bottom basement number was, um, because that will guide my first cut. Like how, how, how close do I need to get to that number? That makes sense. Yeah. I think that bottom basement number is really useful. Yeah. Ideally you'd have it from a prior, a prior prep where it's like, you know, this is what it took them to get shredded where, yeah, like. I resonate with that very much because, you know, in the off season, I'm, I'll be sitting at like 3,200 calories and then at the bottom of prep, I'm like, I was like sub a thousand is crazy. Yeah. You know, and you and I have like similar builds, like we're like longer, lankier guys, I would say thinner bone structure, like thinner Mm -hmm. wrists. Um, And I'm the same way. I, I find most guys with our structures have those highly adaptive metabolic rates. Um, and it frustrates the hell out of you, right? <laughs> it's like, um, yeah. in, in my off season, I mean, my calories in the grand scheme of things don't get very low compared to a lot of people. Like I make it down to like 1800 calories at my lowest on prep. Um, but in my off seasons, I'm, I'm over 4,000 calories a day, you know, and that's, you know, that's pretty high over 4,000 calories. Um, and in my, in my early twenties, I'm 38 years old now in my early twenties, I remember there was a point where. At one point, I was maintaining a body weight with 250 grams of protein, 710 grams of carbohydrates, and 110 grams of fat. And I was just holding with that. And then my, you know, you come to prep, and <clears throat> my protein was like 240, carbohydrates were like 100, and fats were like 50. I'm like, oh, how far I've fallen, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, but I think it's important, especially <laughs> for younger, newer competitors. Right. Like sometimes newer competitors, because I used to think this, too, when I was early on, they think like something's wrong. I'm doing something wrong. You know, my food was so high and it shouldn't have to get so low. But it's like some people, that's just where they need to go. If you need to go 
you know, go where the body tells you to go. <laughs> yeah, and understanding that maintenance is somewhat of a fluctuating number where, especially when people come out of prep, they'll like be like, oh, you know, I was on 4,000 calories before prep. That's where we'll like go straight back to. And then they just pile on a whole bunch of unnecessary fat. Oh man, you nailed it. That is a great thing. You just said like maintenance, you know, it's, it's a fluctuating number. It's not static. Uh, Pete, Dr. Pete Fitchin and I, when we were writing the book, uh, we, we had the discussion about determining maintenance calories and we, you know, we'd read other people's bodybuilding books. And one thing that we always kind of found was funny was that, um, I'd seen so many other bodybuilding books where they spend pages on different ways to determine your, yeah, like formulas online calculators. Yeah. And I'm like, and I, and, and we kind of just were like maintaining your weight. Yes. Okay. Add up what you're eating right now. That's your maintenance. You know, it's like, it's such a fluctuating number that, you know, mm-hmm. trying to spend so much time to determine your maintenance caloric intake, I think it's kind of a waste of time. That That's a great point you brought up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, I think wrapping up here, mindful of the time, I think that was really helpful and giving people a lens to look at contest prep planning and realizing that there are some things you can, you know, have an idea of the some some trends that might apply, but also not getting too much into the, you know, mathematics of it and trying to be too controlled. One fun question to, you know, wrap things up, uh, something I've kind of been discussing with with people and since you've been coaching so many athletes over such a period of time, what would you say is like an optimal like frequency of competition for an athlete? Like, let's say someone is coming to you and they're or like you're starting off as a bodybuilder and you're like 18. What would you tell them as an ideal sort of uh, schedule? Yeah, they're going to hate this. They're, they're going to these young guys are going to hate this. I think when you're younger, you should have longer periods of time from competing. I mean, I'd like to yeah. see maybe four, 18 years old. I don't want to see you get on stage probably more than every four years. Uh, then maybe when you get into your thirties, like early thirties, I think, you know, you can push that together maybe every two and a half, you know, and then by late thirties, maybe every two, uh, every two years, I think as you get upper forties, you know, around 50 years old, then, you know, if you've had this career of building and you've been patient and you do every, you know, interval, right? Like as your career goes on, I want them to get closer together. Um, because you're not really going to build much. If you've been training 20 years and you're in your late forties, you're not really going to build much at that point. And I always tell my athletes is like, then is your time. Live it up. You're at the peak. You're ever going to be, you can compete every year if you want until you retire, because usually by that point, you also have a lot of the tools where you're not really even losing that much muscle in prep. Um, I really believe that a lot of the muscle loss in prep is, mediated through psychological stress and you have the tools to handle it so mm. every four years when you're like a teenager and then getting into your 30s every three two and a half and then down to every you know two and then finally you can do every year um and i even have some clients that are like 50 years old and they're just they look awesome right i i have a client i have, I have some clients that are even in their 60s and every year boom, wow. boom boom they're doing it spring fall spring fall and they're like i have some clients that are in their 60s and they're like Hey, I'm retiring in like two years. I'm going to compete like two years straight. I'm like, hey, you do it. Like enjoy wow. it and, just, and then go off season. into the, yeah, and then go off into the sunset, you know, like, <laughs> let's go for it. Enjoy your time. Like, you know, what, it's like at that point, what are you waiting for? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of this like, philosophy of, you know, when you have these eager young bucks who want to compete, but at the same time, competing takes a lot of time and like, it, it takes a lot of productive bulking time out of your calendar where you like if you're young maybe you should be trying to focus on putting on that muscle yeah yeah i mean if you're if you're really serious about putting on muscle you shouldn't be getting on stage you know the, you should you should be in the gym and eating a lot <laughs> and i guess yeah one other thing you know seeing people compete at the whole spectrum of ages where would you say that most bodybuilders peak like and just bring their best package to stage like best look mid 40s natural natural bodybuilders yeah 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 for naturals i think you know enhanced you're probably looking at earlier i would say you know mid late 30s but i think mid 40s for natural competitors is going to be like 
the time. And I, in my experience, if people stay injury free, um, I think that, you know, most people, most people are going to hit their peak in the range of 43, 44, 45. And then I think that peak is maintained or sometimes even improved upon up until about 50. Um, you know, usually I think about 50 is when I really start to see some decline in people. Mm-hmm. And then for other categories like bikini, Bikini's tough. Bikini, the the I would say the peak is probably like late twenties in my experience, maybe into early thirties. But uh, I I do think that bikini peak comes a little bit sooner, um, mainly because the ideal bikini look um, is obtained with fewer years of training. And then as training continues Mm -hmm. to happen, you start to essentially train out of the division Um, because it's not always like an age issue with bikini. It's uh, it's honestly what it is, is usually it ends up being being kind of a muscle maturity issue. You just end up too hard, too muscular, you know what I mean? Um, And it's like, it's, it's hard to maintain a good look. You know, and then you got to back off of training. But it's, I think most people age out of bikini simply due to training out of it, not really aging out of it. Yeah. And that was really interesting what you said about older bodybuilders having that edge from the psychological stress aspect. You know, because like, a lot of people talk about that the old man graininess. <clears throat> like, what, what do you attribute that to? Well, there's some physiological, the old man graininess. There's a lot, there's a lot of physiological to that, is that muscle maturity increases with time and intramuscular fat stores change as you continue to train over the years. Um, I also think like the total number of volume amount of volume someone has done seems to play a role in that. Like seems like guys that train with a mm. high degree of volume in my experience, guys that train with a high degree of volume tend to have a little bit more of a muscle mature look at a younger age. Um, I think it's just once again, more reps, more reps, more reps. Um, but uh, in addition to that, I was actually going to make a post on this like later this week, but um, over the course of my career, so I, you know, I've talked a lot about psychological stuff. I, I've it's kind of been the thing that's in my wheelhouse. I've just seen so much blood work over the course of the years that really makes me believe that so much of what we see is um, mediated through psychological. I, I mean, if I could just give one quick example. I was just giving this example to somebody recently is that, um, right. So like post-show recovery, uh, Mm -hmm. at what point, at what point do, does testosterone rebound post-show testosterone and thyroid hormones, right? Because testosterone plummets, thyroid hormones plummet during a contest prep. I have had people, I have had people, um, when they prep, right. They finish their show and they get their, blood test and they show that uh testosterone's in the tank thyroid hormones in the tank and it's like an early prep right it's one of their first preps and they go off the rails and they binge like crazy and two months later they've gained 40 pounds right they just you know they've gained a ton of body fat and calories are high so you'd think calories are high ton of body fat Mm-hmm. thyroid hormones are still they've improved right but thyroid hormones are still low mm. and testosterone is still low and their mental state is still not great right they're you know still struggling with cravings and they're you know overeating but then you know they you help them develop the tools through an off season they go through another prep you test them and so then like the, that same person i've tested you know, they've developed the psychological tools <clears throat> two months post-show. Now they're not 40 pounds over stage weight. Maybe they're only like 12, you know, they're lean post-show, maybe 15, but you test their testosterone and their thyroid hormones are like back to normal. Um, so I definitely think that a lot of the negative effects that we see in prep, a lot of them are mediated through psychological stress. And so the more you can help people establish that um, the tools to mitigate the psychological stress, both during and post-show, the less physiological stress you're going to see. And there's also a ton of research to show that our physiological state is highly dictated by our psychological state. There's some cool stuff on like testosterone and 
you know, if guys think they won a competition, even if they didn't, the testosterone shoots up. Oh, um, yeah. It's, yeah. So like, there's a lot of research on that. So I, that's one of the reasons I went down the rabbit hole of psychology with my clients is because, um, it's just, I, I believe it's more important than most people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's fascinating. It's, it's the power of experience, you know, where as you go through repeated preps and I do wonder if there's some physiologic backing to that as well, where your body actually like acclimatizes to that kind of physical stress of being a, at a low body fat percentage. Yeah. Yeah. I've questioned that myself too. I don't really know. Um, it's like, I, I don't, I think the problem is that you're never going to separate the psychological and the physiological, right? Yeah. You get better at one and then you get better at the other. And exactly. They you feed know, back. This, yeah. It's a feedback loop that just kind of strengthens the whole system really. So yeah. Anyways, that's been great cliff and it's been good to catch up and talk talk uh contest prep my favorite topic on this podcast as people know uh where can people find you and just anything new going on with you yeah um it's been mostly a busy season i have a few projects in the works but i had to kind of put them on hold at the end of this contest season here but uh most people can just find me at my instagram at cw team wilson and um but if you want to get a hold of me, I have a hard time getting back to all my Instagram messages. But if somebody wants to get a hold of me, uh, you can do it through my website. It's uh, teamwilsonbb.com. And uh, that's where they'll mostly be able to get a hold of me there. Awesome. So I'll put that in the description below. And thanks for being on the show. Awesome. I appreciate having me on. Thank you.